The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here's your 5 at 5. Stocks gearing up for the final trading week of 2020, looking to build on record highs. President Trump pulling a U-turn on the COVID relief and government funding bill, signing off on the measure after days of blocking it. Shares of Alibaba under pressure this morning as China ramps up pressure over its practices and Bitcoin's blockbuster 2020 not giving up any momentum as the cryptocurrency continues to hit new highs. Also firing on all cylinders this year, IPOs and SPACs. We talked to an early investor in some of 2020's biggest trading debuts. It is Monday, December 28th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan. Hope everyone had a great and festive Christmas. Here's how money and global markets are setting up the day. It is the last week of 2020 and futures right now. Well, they're pointing to a higher open on the news of the stimulus bill. Dow Jones currently up 165, Nasdaq up 76 and the S&P 500, you can see, pointing to a higher open by 25 points. This after a, well, relatively muted week amid this Christmas holiday, the Dow and Nasdaq eking out slight gains while the S&P 500 wrapped up the week with a slight loss. But the big winner was the Russell 2000, the small cap index climbing more than 1.5%. That is the eighth straight week of gains, its longest weekly winning streak since February of 2019. With just four days left in the year, the NASDAQ now on pace to be the winning index, currently up more than 42%, vastly outperforming the Dow and S&P, which are higher for the year by around 6 and 15% respectively. Also want to check in on the price of Bitcoin because it just continues its record run. It's currently sitting at 26,804 uh, after topping 28,000 over the weekend. Certainly got a lot of attention from family members at the dinner table uh, and also breaking through number of record highs throughout this week. We're going throughout the last week. Uh, we're going to dig into that topic in a little bit. Let's go worldwide now. Stocks in Asia kicking off the week, mostly in positive territory. We see Japan uh, closing out the, the day higher by three-fourths of 1%. Shanghai and Kospi ending the day in the green. And the Hang Seng finishing the day lower by around one-fourth of a percent. And in Europe, we've got a new high in Germany. The German DAX closing or seeing an early trade up by around 1.4% on news of that stimulus bill being passed in the U.S. and the Brexit deal moving forward on that note. Uh, Spain, Italy and France all in the green. Now turning to today's top morning stories, including more on that sharp decline in Alibaba shares. Bertha Coombs has more on that and other headlines at this hour. Bertha, good morning. 
Hey, good morning, Seema. Shares of Alibaba plunging 8% today in overseas trading, coming on the heels of last week's losses. This after Chinese regulators ordered Alibaba-affiliated Ant Group to rectify its businesses and comply with regulatory requirements following a weekend meeting with company execs. The demand comes as Ant Group faces accusations of monopolistic behavior in that country's internet sector, just days after regulators announced a probe of Alibaba. Meanwhile, the UK is expected to roll out the AstraZeneca Oxford University vaccine to the public there next week. According to reports, the government hopes to give out the first doses of that treatment starting January 4th to 2 million people over the first two weeks. That vaccine is expected to get the green light from medical regulators there in the coming days. Back in this country, Dr. Anthony Fauci is warning that travel amid the Christmas holiday could push the U.S. to a critical point. Fauci making those comments yesterday, despite travel warnings, nearly 10 million Americans flew over the past 10 days, which could lead to a new surge in cases. At least that's the fear. As of yesterday, the number of COVID-19 cases in the U.S. topped 19 million as the death toll from the disease surpassed 333,000. Even in the midst of the hopes of the vaccine, SEMA, those numbers are just daunting. It's worth it for now. Thank you so much. We'll see you later in the show. And back to the markets now. It has been a solid year for stocks and returns for investors in 2020, but will these gains hold up into the new year? As part of our CNBC quarterly stock report, we asked investors where they believe the Dow will be at the end of 2021. More than two-thirds predict the Dow will hit 35,000, which would only be an increase of about 2%. Head to CNBC.com to check out the rest of the survey but for more insight on the market. Let's get to Gina Sanchez, CEO of Chantico Global and a CNBC contributor. Gina, uh, great to see you this morning. I just want to dig into the results of this survey. I mean, you have President Trump averting a government shutdown by signing that COVID relief bill. Uh, more news around this vaccine rollout. And nearly every Wall Street economist expecting an economic rebound next year. I mean, is all the good news being priced into this market? Well, that's what that survey is telling you. And in fact, that matches our estimations. Our estimations are maybe a little lower. Um, we're predicting a flat market uh, for 2021. Um, and part of that is that parts of the, uh, of the stock market have just been absolutely extraordinary. Uh, certain tech plays that have just assumed an extrapolation of current uh, current trends that we don't think is sustainable, whereas other parts of the market have just been absolutely decimated. And I think there's going to be a rebalancing within uh, the stock market. So there will be a lot of stock picking opportunities and a lot of sector picking opportunities. But on the whole, we expect uh, that we will have a flat year. So let's talk about that. You say it's going to be a stock uh, picker's market. Would you expect the underperforming sectors that were left behind in this market recovery to start to outperform next year? Or do you stick with the winners? Uh, technology, of course, being one of them. Well, some of what the pandemic taught us uh, was that it, it hastened trends that were already underway and that might have taken several years, if not an entire decade, to really take hold. Um, uh, you know, the, the sort of common acceptance of, of remote working, which was really not as accepted. Now it's very well accepted. I think there are many workers that are ready to go back to the office. Um, but by that, by the same token, you probably will see, you know, continued. I don't think Zoom is going away, for example. 
example. And I think Microsoft will continue to uh, to benefit from all of the investments that they have been making um, in, in this area. And so I think that there are definitely areas where you will see continued, uh, you know, continued support and trends that were going into, you know, this we talk about this as if it were a, a short term event. It wasn't short term. It was really an intermediate term event. But at the end of the day, we are starting to see the end of it. And I think that many of the trends going into this will reassert themselves. I went back and watched one of our segments from Trading Nation, Gina, um, in September, where you had recommended looking at the reopening trade, travel, casinos, entertainment, media names like Disney. And if you look at those three sectors, they've actually are up significantly over the last eight weeks. I'm wondering if you think investors should start uh, to look seriously at these sectors if they're not already invested uh, in these industries that could potentially see a rebound next year as a consumer gets out there, they get the vaccine and feel more comfortable uh, getting back on the road. Yeah, I actually do. I, I really believe that there's a tremendous amount of pent-up demand. People have cabin fever like crazy, Seema. And, you know, the numbers from this past week are just a testament to sort of how frustrated people are at being separated from their families, being separated socially distant from their friends. Um, just the ability to go out and spend in shopping malls, the retail trade, the ability to travel and be somewhere else other than your home, um, that, you know, that travel trade, I think, still has a long way to go. And for those people whom, for whom this pandemic was not a disaster uh, for their sort of employment and their personal income, there's a tremendous amount of pent-up demand. Yeah, and we'll see how that plays out next year. Uh, Gina, as always, thank you for your insight today. Gina Sanchez. Thank you. And now to that developing story surrounding the fight over the COVID relief bill and government funding. President Trump reversing course on the legislation, legislation, signing the bill that funds both after allowing aid to millions of Americans to lapse over the weekend. NBC News' Chris Pallone joins us now with the latest. Chris, good morning. Seema, good morning. President Trump continues to push to raise those direct cash payments from $600 to $2,000. In fact, there's a vote in the House of Representatives on that very measure later on today. But it's a move many Republicans oppose. After a week of complaints about the $2.3 trillion bipartisan spending bill and COVID relief package posting on Twitter. It really is a disgrace. President Trump signed the bill Sunday night. It includes $900 billion in COVID relief money and funds the government for the next fiscal year. In a statement from his Florida resort, the president said, I am signing this bill to restore unemployment benefits, stop evictions, provide rental assistance, and much more. Those enhanced employment benefits now extended had expired for millions Sunday. And after promises stimulus payments would go out this week, it's now unclear when people will see that money in their bank accounts. Democratic House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer said the president has resolved an unnecessary crisis he himself created. The president is still backing an effort to raise those payments to $2,000 for adults and $600 for children. Democrats support it. Minority Leader Chuck Schumer on Twitter daring Republicans to object. The House will vote on it today. I don't agree with $2,000 checks to people who've had no lost income whatsoever, which is the vast majority of Americans. The law provides $8 billion for coronavirus vaccine distribution. And so far, no official reaction from President-elect Joe Biden, though we do expect to hear from him after he gets a briefing later on today. We'll Seema? We'll be looking for that, as well as what uh, Senator Majority McConnell will have to say later today as well. Chris, thank you. Sure. When we come back, details on the new hire by Amazon with close ties to the incoming Biden administration and the questions being raised. 
plus the fresh challenges facing the U.S. as the rollout of the COVID vaccine continues. And a strong opening for Wonder Woman 1984 amid a new pandemic business model for movies. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back. Amazon has tapped the brother of one of President-elect Joe Biden's closest advisors to help with its lobbying efforts. And that's raising new questions about potential conflicts of interest with the incoming administration. CNBC.com political finance reporter Brian Schwartz has a new report out on this and joins us now. And Brian, a really interesting story. What does this, this new lobbyist for Amazon mean for the company going forward? Well, good to see you, Seaman. Thanks for having me. Well, really what this means is, you know, it, it, this is a big hire because Jeff Reschetti, who's the lobbyist you alluded to, is uh, the brother of Steve Reschetti, uh, Joe Biden's White House chief counselor. So clearly, you know, Amazon, one of the big tech companies that we both know have been under scrutiny for a while, uh, is, is looking to get access to this new administration. Uh, and they've had similar themes to this over the years with the Trump administration as well. They've tried to pick up and recruit lobbyists uh, close to the president and his allies. And now Amazon has hired, and this was the big get we had this, the, just the other day, uh, Reschetti, who has direct ties to Joe Biden's uh, closest advisor. So clearly Amazon looking to get access early here as President-elect Biden moves into the White House. You know, as we examine the lobbyists that every tech company is sort of arming themselves with going into next year on this expectation that there's just going to be more scrutiny, um, how are the Reschetti brothers going to handle this potential conflict? Well, you know, they, the people I speak to say that Steve Reschetti and Jeff Reschetti uh, do not interact professionally. Uh, that's a take from people who are familiar with the relationship and that uh, Jeff will not be lobbying his brother. But that's not really what ethics attorneys are too concerned about. Uh, what they really are concerned about is uh, will Jeff Reschetti be getting access to the White House? You know, that, the answer to that, there really isn't that clear how that's going to be handled. Um, uh, you know, Jeff Reschetti, they, like I said, said that you know, people around him say that, you know, he's not going to be uh, you know, lobbying his brother. But these same people did not rule out that he will be interacting and reaching out on behalf of Amazon and many other clients, keep in mind, uh, to the White House itself. So you have to keep that in mind. Have to, we'll have to keep an eye on that as this goes forward, uh, because there's a lot of question marks as to how Steve Reschetti is going to handle this, how the administration is going to handle this if a brother of a key advisor of Joe Biden's is going around, you know, trying to influence uh, things for Amazon and, and anyone else who wants him to work. For yeah, that. a controversial hire. Curious, any response so far from Amazon, Brian? Uh, nothing so far. I mean, it's been, they've been very, very quiet, and that's not too much of a surprise. They like to do things behind the scenes regarding lobbying, as do, as do many of the other big tech companies, Facebook, Google, um, but, you know, th that's interesting in, in itself. I think you're going to see uh, two different themes here. One, Amazon, Facebook, Google, Google, and these other big tech groups hiring similar lobbyists. And then you're going to see also uh, lobbyists like Jeff Reschetti, who, by the way, before the end of this election and as we got into the time 
where we are now having President-elect Joe Biden. Um, you know, Jeff Reschetti didn't have that many big clients. He had a few here or there, but he has slowly started to gain more and more at, at the tail end of the election and into Joe Biden uh, officially defeating President Donald Trump. So, you know, that's where, that's what the other interesting key thing here is as well. You know, there's two different business stories here. A lobbyist gaining, um, gaining new businesses and Amazon and big tech um, pushing back as well. Wow, fascinating story and a great scoop. Brian, thank you. Brian Schwartz of CBC.com. You can check out his whole story online right now. Back to the market, a record year for renewable energy stocks. What Wall Street insiders see for the sector heading into 2021. Today's big number, 61%. That's the increase in luxury home sales nationwide from September through November versus the same time period last year, according to Redfin. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest. Philip. Hey, Seema, good morning. We're learning more about the Christmas Day explosion that rocked Nashville. Three days after the incident, which left three people injured and dozens of buildings damaged, authorities say they now know who is responsible. Police have identified 63-year-old Anthony Quinn Warner as the suspect. Investigators say Warner died in the blast and acted alone. There's still no word on a possible motive. Just in time to celebrate New Year's Eve, Lori Loughlin is scheduled to be released from prison today. The Full House actress was serving a two-month sentence for her role in the college admissions scandal. Her husband, fashion designer Massimo Giannulli, is still serving a five-month prison sentence. He is scheduled to be released in April of next year. With 2021 just days away, workers are preparing Times Square's iconic crystal ball. This year, 192 Waterford crystal triangles will decorate the 12-foot ball in a new design called the Gift of Happiness. This year's event will not include packed New York streets due to the pandemic. Seema, send it back to you. New Year's Eve will rock in Times Square even without a live audience. I love it. Philip, thank you. All right. And still ahead, we go live to Washington for the latest on the COVID-8 fight as the president backtracks on his threat to block stimulus support. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us on the CNBC app. Worldwide Exchange is back in a moment. 
President Trump reversing course on his bid to block a bipartisan virus aid and government funding package, the latest on the last-minute decision. That move by the president helping to boost futures, though, at this hour. Stocks gearing up for the final trading week of 2020. And this year proving to be a blockbuster year for IPOs. We're going to talk to an insider on some of the biggest names that have made their trading debuts and what it could mean for 2021. It is Monday, December 28th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan. Here's how your money and investments look right now as we're halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. Futures are telegraphing, well, a strong open with the Dow currently up 163 points, the Nasdaq up 77, and the S&P 500 higher by around 24 points. This after President Trump's uh, reversal on signing off on virus aid and government funding. More on that in a moment. But how do stocks wrap up Last week, while well, the Dow and Nasdaq eking out slight gains, while the S&P 500 wrapped up with a slight loss, but the big winner was the Russell 2000, the small cap index climbing more than 1.5%. It was the eighth straight week of gains. That is the longest weekly winning streak since February of 2019. At this hour, we are also watching shares of Alibaba, big mover here, falling nearly 8% in overseas trade. This after Chinese regulators ordered Alibaba-affiliated Ant Group to rectify its business and comply with regulatory requirements following a weekend meeting with company executives. It just comes amid growing pressure on founder Jack Ma. A standoff now between the government and Jack Ma. Shares are now down, um, trading at 210 a share. Now to that developing story out of Washington. An 11th hour move, President Trump signing that bill that both funds the government and extends COVID relief to millions of Americans and struggling businesses. Diana Olick joins us now with the latest. Diana, good morning. Good morning, Seema. Yeah, after leaving Americans and the economy hanging in the balance over Christmas, President Trump finally ended the showdown with his own party and signed the bill. The news came in a tweet around 6 o'clock last night. Good news on COVID relief bill. Information to follow. The hang-up had been over checks to those making up to $75,000 a year. The agreement was $600. But in a shocking break with his chief negotiator, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, last Tuesday, after the bill was passed, Trump demanded $2,000 checks. There will now be a vote today on that increase in the House, and then the Senate could consider it Tuesday but there is no guarantee. In a statement last night, the president wrote, I have told Congress that I want far less wasteful spending and more money going to the American people in the form of $2,000 checks per adult and $600 per child. So now the government does not shut down at midnight tonight. 14 million Americans will get extended unemployment benefits. Those benefits ended Saturday, so there will likely be a delay. Small businesses will get relief, and the eviction moratorium for renters imposed by the Centers for Disease Control will be extended to the end of January, and $25 billion will go towards rent relief for both tenants and landlords. Now, early Sunday evening, a bipartisan group of lawmakers, the same ones who got stimulus negotiations back on track after the election, had called on the president to sign the bill. Seema. Stimulus bill uh, touches all aspects of the economy, even housing. How important was it to get this bill signed before the end of the year for renters especially? 
It was absolutely critical. You were looking at potentially 19 million people in eight and a half million renter households who could have faced eviction on Friday, starting Friday. Not only that, but the $25 billion is critical for landlords also. Many of them are having trouble paying their mortgages on these homes because they're not getting their own income. So getting that relief to renters and landlords was absolutely critical to the market, to the wider housing market as well. Sina. And it seems to be having an impact on the market right now with futures higher at this hour. Diana, thank you. Diana Olick for us in Washington, D.C. The European Union, the latest part of the world to begin vaccinations following the United States and the United Kingdom. But getting the vaccine to other parts of the world may prove to be more difficult. High-income countries have already reserved 9 billion of the estimated 12 billion doses expected to be produced next year. And logistical challenges regarding shipping and cold storage could add yet another hurdle to distributing the vaccine to areas like South Asia and Africa. With more on the challenges facing global distribution of the vaccine, we're joined by Silvana Sinha, founder and CEO of Prava Health in Bangladesh, and William Hasseltine, chairman and president of Access Health International. Great to have you both on today. And Silvana, I'll start with you. You manage uh, healthcare facilities in a country like Bangladesh. What are some of the pressing concerns, the challenges you're uh, seeing on the ground there? I think one of the issues that we're facing is certainly trust. I think this is something that we're seeing in developed and emerging economies alike. In the U.S., you're seeing, you know, mistrust caused by histories of injustice, especially in disadvantaged and minority communities. And that's certainly exacerbated in low and middle income countries like Bangladesh, where more people are dying due to lack of access to quality health care than lack of access alone. Um, I mean, we already have more than 10 percent of drugs in the market um, that are uh, that are actually counterfeit. And during COVID, we've seen private hospitals charging patients for COVID tests that were never properly processed. All of this mistrust is bleeding into vaccine distribution. And, uh, you know, it's a challenge that we're preparing ourselves. But the, the bigger challenge, to be honest, is, is that we don't really have any information regarding when the vaccines will be rolled out. Dr. Hasselstein, you heard Silvana there. So there's a misinformation, a lack of trust. Uh, but from what I gather, you're also concerned about the lack of industrial freezers, cold storage options for many of these emerging and frontier economies that have budgets that are that are already been hurt by COVID. Uh, how does that make it? How does that make the vaccine rollout even more difficult in those countries? Well, the whole aspect of uh, medical services in countries with limited resources is a very serious problem. And it's particularly true for high-tech medical interventions uh, because they just don't have the infrastructure. That's uh, true for these vaccines. I call the American vaccines, the Moderna vaccine, the Pfizer vaccines, the Lamborghinis of vaccines. That's because they're expensive, they're high-tech, and they require enormous maintenance and infrastructure. What we need is a Toyota, something that's much more robust that can be used in many different circumstances. It's not just the cold chain, but that is a big problem. Now, where are those vaccines being developed? Well, there are different types of vaccines that don't rely on such high technology. In fact, a number of countries have India, for example, China, for example, Russia, for example, and even the UK have developed vaccines that are far more robust using much older technologies. And those technologies may work. The unfortunate part is right now we don't know. But there's something I'd like everybody to keep in mind. This virus jumps borders. What happens in one country doesn't stay in one country. Look at the problem right now 
with the resistant variant, or not the resistant variants, but those variants that seem to be more transmissible. Mm -hmm. They may start in South Africa. They may start in the UK. They don't end there. Until this world is free from COVID, everybody is at risk for COVID vaccination or not, because this virus may be able to get around our vaccines like flu does. Yeah, it's a good point. And Savannah, you know, there's some estimates from Goldman Sachs and City that don't expect a lot of these frontier markets, even Bangladesh, to even get access to get fully vaccinated till end of 2021 or even 2022. Absolutely. It, it's really um, a bit troubling to see the lopsided vaccine rollout globally. I, you know, as you mentioned at the beginning of the segment, we have wealthy countries that are using their purchasing power to secure vaccines doses early. And we have global mechanisms like COVAX that have been formed that were created to ensure equitable distribution of the vaccine. But unfortunately, the jury's still out on the success of these initiatives. So far, COVAX has secured less than $5 billion of a targeted $38 billion U.S. dollars. Um, and, you know, it's very problematic, echoing what Dr. Hazeltine said as well, that the, the vaccine conundrums being treated as one of purchasing power when we live in such an interconnected world. You know, a year ago, we had never heard of COVID-19 and the virus was isolated to a far off city in Wuhan, China. And yet for most of this year, the entire world's been held hostage mm -hmm. to this invisible enemy. Um, it, we have got to come together as a global community to figure out how we're going to contain the virus in every country at scale until we do that we can't be sure about the future. In South Asia, uh, Bill, where, where do you, which vaccine do you think um, those countries will, will go with? I imagine the Pfizer vaccine won't do really well there when you have a combination of tropical temperatures, a lack of infrastructure, uh, and the China vaccine seems to be gaining ground there. Well, you know, I think it's not going to be a matter of what country. It's going to be a matter of what vaccine at what price as well. There's also an issue of price. There are countries, you know, there are big international vaccine efforts that have been underway for a long time. The Gates Foundation has funded many of these. There are major international uh, uh, programs both to develop these vaccines and distribute them, as uh, Sinha has mentioned. And uh, we're, we're really uh, at a point where we know how to do it. The problem is, will we be doing it and how fast will we be doing it for this? This is not just a question of health. It's a question of economies, because economies, as we know, are suffering from this disease as much as people are. And when economies suffer, everybody, infected or not, is affected by this pandemic. And so it's really vital that we focus now, that we have these vaccines, not just on the vulnerable people in our own societies, but the vulnerable nations around the world in our own interests and for humanitarian interests. Uh, Savannah, what are you hearing from the government uh, in Bangladesh and even other South Asian countries that you work with? Is this China vaccine um, going to be in higher demand than some of the other ones that are being developed because they don't have the same cold temperature requirements? To be honest, we haven't heard yet from our government on the China vaccine. Um, and we, you know, we really don't have clarity, I have to say, and, and really echo Dr. Hazeltine's comments that we do need to come together in particular for our health workers globally who are creating the backbone of our economy right now. You know, it's been extremely heartening for me to see on my social media feed in the last couple of weeks, friends and colleagues in the U.S. and Europe getting vaccinated. It's a moment of hope for all of us in the world, of course. I have no insight, however, into when my health workers in Bangladesh are going to be vaccinated. And we really need to think about that first as a global community as we prepare to reopen economies. It's a great point. Um, Silvana and William, thank you for your time today.
important part of the story that I don't think we're covering enough of. Thank you for having us. All right, coming up on the show, renewable energy stocks soaring in 2020. We lay out the big winners and who can keep the momentum going. But first, as we head to break, some of your other top stories. Wonder Woman 1984, seeing the biggest, big, biggest uh, box office opening for a film released during the pandemic, pulling in $16.7 million domestically. AT&T says nearly of its 3.6 million HBO Max subscribers view the film on Christmas Day. Boeing 737 MAX jet is preparing to return to the skies this week with paying passengers. American Airlines will become the first U.S. carrier to resume flights with the plane starting tomorrow. Flights between Miami and New York's LaGuardia Airport. And 2020 proving to be a big year for Zoom CEO Eric Duan's net worth. The success of his company and its stock amid continued virus restrictions has pushed Duan's worth to $17 billion. That, according to FactSet. That's your big stat of the day. Worldwide Exchange, we're back in a moment. In a year that's seen its fair share of winners and losers, renewable energy stocks have been on a tear. The Invesco Solar ETF, which tracks the largest companies involved with solar power, have surged more than 230% this year, compared to the S&P 500's modest gain of 15%. CNBC.com reporter Pippa Stevens is here with more. Pippa, it's good to see you. Uh, what's behind this big rally? I'm at, I imagine it's Joe Biden's agenda. Hey, Seema, good morning. Yeah, those numbers really are eye-popping. Um, and there are four key factors really driving the surge in clean energy. The first is just economics. We've seen the cost of solar decline more than 70% over the last decade, meaning that it's now competitive, if not cheaper, than natural gas or, or coal power in many places. So while the industry might have once been driven by eco-conscious consumers, it's now really being driven by economics. Uh, ESG investing also playing a role here. We've seen enormous momentum behind the ESG strategy this year. We've seen that it's not just a bull market phenomenon. Investors really are prioritizing companies that factor in environmental, social, and governance factors. As you mentioned, Joe Biden certainly a key driver here. These stocks have done very well under the Trump administration. But there's a lot of optimism looking forward about what President-elect Joe Biden will mean for the industry. Of course, he's made climate change one of his priorities, called it one of four day one initiatives. So there is certainly a lot of optimism about what he will mean for greater adoption of renewable energy. And then finally, just climate change. We've seen that our grid is no match for wildfires, no match for hurricanes and flooding. So people are turning towards renewable energy for more grid resiliency. How would you factor China into this story, Pippa? Uh, and what can the Biden administration do to incentivize uh, more companies to buy solar panels and invest in solar panels here, here in the U.S.? Most of the solar panels that we uh, buy right now are from China, as, as well as batteries as well. Yes, yeah, certainly. There's a lot of initiatives on the ground for more R&D in the U.S. to make U.S. manufacturers more competitive, to also ease back on some tariffs that would see greater production here on the ground in the U.S. But the U.S. really is leading the charge in research and development. We've seen a lot of initiatives on energy storage, which is, of course, the key factor that gives us renewable energy becoming more um, widespread because, of course, it is an intermittent power source. So energy storage is a key initiative. And in the stimulus bill that was passed uh, this morning by Trump, uh, one of the uh, outlined parameters does give some funding to greater R&D. And so uh, investors are baking in some optimism around that uh, with these stocks. Clean energy has been such a winning trade. What are the, some of the biggest beneficiaries? 
Yeah, so so far this year, we've seen stocks like SunPower and SolarEdge. SunPower is a residential solar play. SolarEdge makes microinverters. Those are up 500% and more than 200%. Fuel cell companies, take a look at Plug Power, up more than 1,000% this year. And then, of course, Tesla, um, obviously an investor favorite, up nearly 700%, as well as China-based maker uh, NIO, which is also in the EV space. That's seen its shares gain more than 1,000%. And looking forward, given the record run this year, there's definitely some calls that the sector might have seen its valuation stretch a little bit too far. But analysts say that there still is upside ahead for some key stocks. So Sunrun is the largest residential solar play. Um, investors are liking that one, uh, as well as Canon Armstrong, which finances clean energy projects. And then finally, analysts say that Enphase Energy is a good bet. Pippa Stevens, shining some light for us on the solar and clean energy trade. Thank you for joining us today. It's been a wild year for venture capital and private equity, full of huge ups and downs, blockbuster IPOs, and a whole lot of SPACs. Just in the U.S., VC funds have raised more than $70 billion this year, topping the record set in 2018 and defying the odds amid the pandemic. Will this level of activity hold up in 2021? Joining me now is Santosh Rauri, head of research at Manhattan Venture Partners. Santosh, great to have you on this morning. Morning. You were investors. You were invested in DoorDash and Airbnb before they both went public. Since going public, they've lost a bit of momentum. I'm curious how you think these two specific names will do next year. Yeah, I, th- I think these two companies really represent some transformational technologies out there, transformational services out there. So I think they will come back. I mean, there'll be some little bit of volatility. They need to settle in, but underneath them, there is a nice tailwind. People want. Uh, their services, especially Airbnb in this market. The market pretty much came to them. This pandemic really helped them uh, in terms of the way they are situated. Uh, And in DoorDash, last mile logistics is going to be a big part of our lives going forward, even after this pandemic. So I think they will stay. So I think these two will come. They need to grow into the valuation. Yes, there's going to be some adjustment. We'll see how their first quarter reports come out. Uh, But uh, overall, I think they're good companies and uh, they need to really adjust and which they will. We've seen that with other portfolio companies also. The first day pop that we saw in Airbnb and DoorDash, wow, I mean, that, that just generated so much of a conversation around whether, you know, the bankers did price these IPOs right. Um, I'm curious if where you stand on that argument and if there is something to be said about whether SPACs and direct listings um, will do well next year when clearly companies can, can do quite well going just the general route of an IPO. Yeah, this year has been unusual uh, in terms of the re- broader retail participation, the fear of missing out, uh, the hunt for yields. So everyone's kind of rushing into these uh, companies. So price discovery has been difficult, and that's been an age-old argument with IPOs. <laughs> it's very difficult to get the price when there's so much volatility. Uh, but I think overall, uh, direct listing, uh, especially the new uh, the iteration of that, is going to be net additive to the whole process. Uh, it's going to bring some efficiency to the exit process. Now companies have three avenues to come out. So I think uh, it's it, what it's going to do is essentially streamline the IPO process, uh, shorten the time to market, and improve that. So I think net overall, yes, uh, Airbnb and DoorDash were uh, big exceptions. Um, and this market, everything is up uh, more than uh, expected. But I think overall, I think these three things uh, will uh, moderate the, uh, the first day pops as we go forward. The ability for these venture capital firms to raise a lot of money on the sidelines, new funds coming to market. Do you expect that story to continue next year or what could what could go wrong? 
No, absolutely. I, I think at this point, I think uh, what this pandemic has shown is that there is a growing, a deeper penetration of number of transformational technologies and services. So I think you see a number of companies on, in the private markets. Uh, and from our vantage point, I, we see them coming to market also. Uh, there's tremendous demand for them. So uh, you will continue to see IPO activity, robust activity in 2021. Maybe the size of the deals may be smaller. Uh, Airbnb and DoorDash were big. But I think uh, the number of deals will still be big and across the verticals. Uh, you're going to see cloud computing, cloud security, uh, logistics, education technology, uh, and digital payments across the verticals. So I think these are like long-term secular trends that you will see and the number of companies playing in that space and you will see them coming to market next year. So the robust activity 21, we are expecting all that from our vantage point. One name we are expecting to go public next year is Coinbase, the digital cryptocurrency platform. It has a private valuation reportedly of $8 billion. Uh, I'm curious whether you think an IPO could legitimize cryptocurrencies, um, if at all, next year. Yes, I think it's moving towards that. Uh, let's see. Uh, I think Coinbase has become the poster child for the cryptocurrencies and Bitcoins and all the, the, that whole uh, space. Uh, they are the best uh, best of breed in that category. So it makes sense for them to come out at this point. Uh, they're just at the right place. So, I mean, you might as well, while there is good momentum and growing recognition, they have people's attention, the mind share and everything going on. So I think they will do well. Let's see where the valuation comes out in the end. But uh, generally, we expect them to be expect it to be very well received in the market, uh, given the tailwind behind them. Yeah, certainly has a lot of momentum. Bitcoin breaking above twenty eight thousand over the weekend. Santosh, uh, great insight today. Thank you for joining us today. Thank Santosh you. Roy. Thanks for having me. On deck, stocks set to kick off the last trading week of the year on a high note. Apex's financial Lee Baker is standing by with the moves you need to make in the final days of twenty twenty. Worldwide Exchange will be right back. Welcome back. Taking another look at the CNBC quarterly stock report and what moves money managers say their clients will be making in 2021. 58% say they'll be making their first moves into Bitcoin. 33% will buy their first SPAC, while only 9% will buy their first options contract. You can see the full results of the CNBC quarterly stock report on CNBC.com. But let's dive into that and the broader markets with Lee Baker, owner and president of Apex Financial. Lee, it's great to see you this morning. And I want to get your reaction to those results of that CNBC report right there. Uh, the fact that investors are perhaps thinking about looking beyond the traditional areas to invest in SPACs and, and cryptocurrencies as well. You know, those uh, results aren't so surprising to me. You know, I, uh, I've gotten a few phone calls through the holidays about Bitcoin. Uh, and I think back to, I guess it was about four years ago, the last time Bitcoin got up around 18,000. Uh, so it's not surprising to me. People get really excited and, and want to have that fun thing to think about the the unusual thing that gives them that really big pop. So that's not surprising at all that those are your survey results. But there's still many core questions facing this market going into next year that are still unanswered. Taxes, how high will the tax rate go up? When will consumers feel comfort comfortable getting back out there? And what does that really mean for earnings growth and comparables with companies like Zoom and Netflix seeing a big surge in, subscri in their subscriber base? But that we're not really sure if that will continue into next year. What do you think is the biggest question hanging over this market? Yeah, so I think all of those things that you mentioned are, are really big questions. And, and some of my thoughts, uh, just one, follow the vaccine, you know, as it gets distributed. And I think we're going to have some uneven results across the globe. 
you know, adoption and the, the number and quantity of people actually getting the vaccine here in the U.S., as opposed to some other countries around the world, I think will be different. Um, as a result, I think we'll have more of an uneven uh, return to what we knew as normal. Uh, and, and I think the, the plays, if you will, that'll benefit from us getting the vaccine and going back to normal will get delayed a little bit. So I expect that kind of thing to happen after the summer. So looking at third quarter, um, you know, as it relates to some of the other things and the value plays, uh, that might seem a little boring after we've had years like a 700% return from Tesla. I think there are a lot of good opportunities and let's call it the old fashioned stuff. And uh, some people might get upset with the idea of, you know, making a, a 15 or 20% return, but that's not too bad in my book. Yeah, and I, you sort of just alluded to this, but uh, emerging markets, they're now trading in record high territory. We just had a segment um, on Worldwide Exchange talking about the, the challenges many, many emerging and frontier markets are facing in distributing this vaccine due to infrastructure concerns, uh, you know, tropical temperatures, which makes, which makes storage of this vaccine much more difficult. Um, how could that complicate, you know, the, this world's ability to eradicate COVID? And does the stock performance we've seen overseas, does that really make sense? Yeah, so, you know, the, the distribution issue is going to be incredibly difficult. Um, you know, your earlier guest that, that indicated that the drugs we have here in the United States being sort of the Lamborghini of drugs, uh, we absolutely need a, a Toyota vaccine for uh, around the world. Now, that being said, the global economy will pull out of this recession, and I think some of the normal winners uh, as a result of when that happens will continue to be winners. And so uh, as we get back here in the U.S. and other developed markets, and begin to use more fuel, for example, as we uh, travel and do those sorts of things. Uh, the emerging market countries that are uh, heavily uh, energy dependent, uh, our energy producers, I think they'll benefit. Uh, some of the old fashioned cyclical plays, uh, countries that are able to produce what's needed uh, for the consumer economies, I think they will benefit even though somewhat more unevenly as a result of vaccine distribution. And talking about China for a second, we thought they were hard on U.S. companies and now taking aim at their own Alibaba and financial. Curious what you make all what you make of all of this with Alibaba shares now down about 8 percent. You know, it, it is interesting uh, here in the U.S. We tend to have a, a view of, of China, again, as you say, being hard on us. Uh, but it's interesting to see China react in a way that we might tend to think is normal. Uh, and when you have a bad actor, so to speak, uh, having the governmental regulators uh, come down on them and uh, 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 impact them in a harsh manner. Uh, but I look at that long term as a good sign. You know, maybe that's an indicator uh, that China is moving into an area uh, that is more similar to what we're uh, typically accustomed to. And as we look to a new Biden administration, uh, how does the world react to uh, somewhat normalized uh, interactions with each other around the globe? So quickly, buy, sell, or hold this stock right here. Um, I'm sorry, which stock is that? Alibaba. Alibaba. Ooh, hold. Okay, we'll keep it there. Lee, thank okay, you. Thanks then. for joining us today. Lee Baker. Happy to be with you. And let's take a quick look at stocks right now. Pre-market trade poised for a higher open with Dow up 160 points, NASDAQ up 81. That does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. Thank you for joining me today. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. 
like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.